Okay, well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to KYRS 88.1, 92.3 at Medical Lake Spokane. And this is Art Hour. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Molson. I'm your other host, Eric Woodard. And Eric, we have a, uh, a return visit from our um, photographer, Adam Schluter. And this is going to be a really interesting show because Adam's recent adventure was over in Minneapolis since the George Floyd uh, incident, and um, I'm really curious to see what stories he has to tell, and it'll be fun to see his, well, not fun, but it'll be really interesting to see the pictures to capture that event, but anyway. Yeah, and for me, I'm really interested because, I mean, even with this thing that's going on over in Seattle, it's it'll be interesting to see the what people who are actually there are saying about uh, what was happening because we get, just get little bits and pieces and we get it filtered through a bunch of lenses. So I'm, in, I'm really excited to hear what Adam saw when he was on the ground. So welcome, Adam. Thank you, guys. It's an yeah. honor to be back with you guys, and I appreciate it the first time. And what an honor to come back again and, and just talk with you guys. I really enjoyed the last time. Yeah. So, we did, Adam, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so I was really curious uh, when the incident happened and it kind of blew up on tv and the internet and all that was your first instinct to just say hey i've got to get over there and, and capture this adam weren't you already there yeah that's the funniest part of this oh, <laughs> i wish i had like i wish i had my life together enough to because i really don't watch uh much news i don't have a tv or anything so i i wish i was like you know watching these situations and like all right gotta get there and hopped on a plane uh but yeah, it was funny. So I photographed weddings in the summertime. And one of uh, my destination weddings this summer was in northern Minnesota. And so I was just flying to Minneapolis uh, to photograph this wedding in Cross Lake, northern Minnesota. And it's like maybe three and a half hours outside of uh, Minneapolis. And so I was like, yeah, I should get there a day before. And, uh, you know, I don't know the area, so I can scope it out and everything. And I hadn't even met the couple before. So I was like, well, meet the couple. And then I was like, you know what? I, I'm always jam packing everything into one day. I should go two days before. So I booked a flight two weeks before to, uh, to get to northern Minneapolis, no, to get to Minneapolis on Thursday. And then, uh, so the funniest part, I mean, I, I promise on my life, I had zero idea any of this was happening, even when... I was driving to my hotel and I remember like, uh, and it was Thursday night, which is really when the chaos started happening, the, the absolute pandemonium and uh, the looting and destruction. And so uh, my hotel was at right by the Mall of America. And so it's probably like four or five, six miles outside of uh, the third precinct, which is where the police station was and the epicenter of the destruction. And I just didn't see it. And so, and I don't know, I was tired and exhausted. I had flown all day because uh, I had a crappy flight from Spokane to Phoenix to Minnesota. And so I was off internet all day, had no clue. And when, uh, when I was getting closer to the Mall of America, they were just dropping concrete barriers all over the place and roads were shut down. And there was like police sitting in random spots. There was lots of unmarked police sitting in random spots, but I was just thought it was a COVID stuff with Mall of America. I knew that that wasn't open yet. So I didn't think much of it. And again, I was just exhausted. So I went in my hotel room and I just crashed, had no clue. And I would have, and I'm kind of glad because I would have stayed up all night in that. Um, and I, I had to get some sleep before. So, so then I woke up Friday morning, still had no idea. Um, woke up, just opened up the windows, like I literally opened my curtains and you're looking at the third precinct again, four, five, six miles away. And it was, I swear, it was just a war zone. It, there was like, and I have a picture of this, but it's like cars leaving and it's just smoke everywhere. Smoke on the horizon. There's plummets of smoke just coming out of these buildings. And I was like, what? And so I ran down, I talked to the front Jeez. desk and they were like, yeah, oh my God, this is happening. George Floyd. And, and so I just ran up, opened up my computer and saw it. And then I saw Third Precinct. And I asked them, I'm like, how do you get there? They're like, you're not going there. And I'm like, I'm going there. How do you get there? And they're like, okay, good God, go down this way and I'll do all that. So, yeah, no idea. Just serendipitous. Wow. So uh, had you rented a car? So were you able to get down there? How would you get down there? Thankfully, I, I had rented a car. I, I got a car Thursday night. And then uh, so I had a car. And so it's like Friday morning. This is like, I don't know. Nine ten in the morning, something like that. 
And um, I had an engagement shoot for that couple at like three in the afternoon in northern Minnesota. So again, like a three hour drive. And so I had no time. And so uh, I had to, I just like booked it and I expected there to be, you know, everything shut down or, or National Guard or SWAT teams and stuff. And they just, I, I could drive right in the middle of it. And I'm in a rental car, so I didn't want to just, you know, uh, get my car all destroyed, which I'm kind of upset about because I had to be a little safer than I wanted to be. But I parked like maybe a half a mile outside of it, um, just so I didn't get residual damage or whatever. And then I just ran and ran on foot. And again, I expected people to be blocking me or keeping me out and everything, everything was wide open. And it really is a testament to the chaos. I mean, um, there was, there was no police, zero police. There was firefighters. Firefighters were just trying so hard to do anything they could, but they couldn't keep up with the, the fires. And so, um, it was like I was walking in through cell phone stores or that were, you know, completely empty or, or looted and destroyed, but there's not an employee or a police officer. Um, I had this moment where, I went to this, there's a, a Dollar General or a Family Dollar store, and the entire store was burned down, and it was still on fire. And so I saw it, there's not a single person there, and I was just getting a picture of the building, and there was an African-American gentleman just standing around, hanging out, and I was like, hey, it's like, let me get your picture standing in the, the fire all around you. And he's like, cool. And he's like, uh, I'm a rapper. And I was like, great. I, I, okay, not now. And he's like, oh. And he's like, I have it. And I was like, not now. And then he's like, okay. And so he like stood in the fire. And I was like, hey, give me a rap right now, standing in this with the building burning all around you. And so he stood in this, the whole building's like falling down. And he stood in it and gave me this little rap. And then uh, firefighters would run in. They'd be like, get out of here. But they're not doing anything about it. And then you go to the next one. And Firefighter was just like, you don't want to breathe that in or don't do that. But they can't even, they didn't have enough manpower to put, put it out. So it was pure pandemonium, absolute chaos. Hmm. Holy cow. So how long were you down there that day? Uh, I was, everything that I shot and photographed that day was in 90 minutes. So it was an hour and a half and I was just running. But, you know, I also wanted to get to interviews and I had some beautiful moments where they're like, okay, there's chaos and pandemonium, but it was over at that point. No one was doing anything else. There was no more destruction. All happened at night. And so when I was there, um, everyone's, you know, boarding up their windows. Everyone's kind of trying to put out the fires on their businesses. And people are doing this themselves. Again, not firefighters just couldn't do it all. And um, so there was a lot of people helping already. It was amazing. And I was like, you'd have a destroyed, absolute burned out building. And people set up tables in front of it and they're giving out coffee and water and masks and talking to people. And we're here to talk and you want to talk. And um, Salvation Army was amazing. They were out doing a ton of stuff. They were there again with their buildings still on fire. Um, and I was able to get, I got to this one gas station that was completely demolished and destroyed. And the owners were just getting there and they had been able to board it up the night before a little bit, but there was the boards were ripped down. And so some of them are still up and they were just taking them down. So I was able to meet with them before. And I said, can I come with you and come in the building and can I video it? And can I get your story? And they just shared a very, very powerful, beautiful story about, you know, they're, they live in the community and they actually told us, uh, they, had to go home. I think it was like 10 o'clock the night before. Um, cause there was some kind of, I don't know if it was a curfew or just an evacuation, but, um, so they had to go home and they had spent like, it was like 46 hours or something straight at the store trying to do whatever they could to protect it before. And when they had to go home, all they could do is sit at home and watch their cameras on their phones and just watch the destruction and people getting in. And they said that a lot of the homeless that live in the area actually formed a semi-barricade around the building itself to keep protesters and looters out of the gas station. Because they're like, we, you know, we're homeless. We have nothing, but they're like, we have our ethics and our character. And they're like, we, this gas station is always good to us. So it was a cool story that really, mm. um, what you're seeing on TV is just 1% of people that want instruction. And even the homeless are helping to protect the businesses and, and then immediately, as soon as everything was destroyed, people are already cleaning, sweeping. I had this picture of uh, it's like a movie theater, something, a Little Caesars, 
and it's like still smoke pouring out and there's like 20 people already brushing, uh, using brooms and stuff with a glass while still on fire. And so 99% was everyone coming together immediately. All races too, African-American, white, Indian, Mexican is a big Mexican population there also. And everyone was together in it. So it was cool. Man. So um, did you get a chance to talk to anybody to some degree uh, at length to get a, a different feel that viewers, you know, on the internet or TV would not get? Yeah, really. I think like, you know, and I'm not a videographer at all. I don't know how to even edit a video. I never have. And um, as soon as I was like, I was taking the pictures they are powerful, but the stories were the really powerful part. And a lot of them brought me back to like, I grew up looking at the Vietnam protests, pictures of the Vietnam protests and hippie girls putting the flowers and the rifles. And these are unbelievable pictures. And I just like dreamed of, and I always thought, okay, maybe I'll be in a third world country one day and get a picture like that. Now it's like, you know, the city I'm in, in Minnesota, it seems like a peaceful place, but Minneapolis has a long history. Um, so when I was down on the National Guard line, this is on Friday too, when everything was very chaotic. Um, it has beautiful, beautiful moments of people peacefully, calmly talking to the National Guard and asking them, put down your rifles. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're one of us. You live in this town. And some of them, or a lot of them actually were minorities themselves, uh, not African-American as much as Mexican, again, or Hispanic. But um, and just these, oh, tears coming down the eye, like coming down their face and uh, very, very powerful. And and then people are very heated too, but there's no physical, like, you know, no one's pushing or touching any, anyone. It's just very passionate. Um, and that was kind of, I think, warranted in the sense that people were outraged that the whole city had burned down. And I had this one girl, Lux, who uh, has been kind of a voice of the peaceful protest since. And she's just saying, what do you, do? there's nothing left. Everything's gone. Like there's nothing to defend anymore. The whole precinct, everything's gone. Um, but so from there, I started just filming uh, the people and I put the camera on them and I don't want to, I don't have an agenda. I don't have a bias. And I'm just like, tell your story. And I don't care what it is that you could say anything, tell it. And it was just amazing because, you know, people are, I, I go around the world and I look out for, for passion of just whatever you believe. And I don't care what you believe, just be passionate about it and speak with your heart and soul into it. And it's hard to find these days. Unfortunately, it seems like people are kind of passive and uh, kind of, they worry about how their words will be used maybe against them or they, they, they're safe with words. And that's fair because there's a lot of people that, um, especially, you know, there's a lot of people that, yeah, there's a lot of judgment. So here it was pure passion, pure just like, oh, it was just so beautiful. And uh, I, I, I can say with all honesty, five days on the front lines, uh, maybe six days, I don't even know, six days, uh, on the front lines with protesters in every possible situation, I never once saw violence. I never once saw looting, destruction, never. Now, I'm not saying it wasn't there. It was there. on the, That was Thursday, Friday. Um, but everyone that we were with was calmly, intelligently speaking their voice with passion and, and veracity, but um, doing it in a, in a way that they knew that if they had any kind of uh, – if they pushed back too hard or if they, you know, burned down the city, then the police would come too and their voice would be diminished. And so everyone was eloquently putting the words together and uh, just a lot of power, a lot of beautiful situations. Is there a particular story that stands out to you as one that really stuck with you or that's kind of emblematic of the other stories that you heard? Yeah, I had a couple that were, were wonderful. Um, I had a bunch that were wonderful, but um, I had this one girl named Tiffany who African-American uh, woman who uh, born and raised in New York city, still lives in New York city. <clears throat> and she saw, and there's a lot of people that were there that were like, we saw what the news is showing and we just didn't believe it. So and we knew that there was more to the story. And uh, so she drove in and, and New York is having their own issues right now, but she wanted to be at the epicenter to see if what they were showing on the news is true. <clears throat> and so she drove from New York city to Minneapolis and was with us every day in all these peaceful protests. And uh, I have a video where she tells this unbelievable just speech in front of thousands of protesters. And she says, um, like, 
born and raised in New York City, been racially profiled by NYPD. Um, and she had story after story after story. And again, this wasn't dramatized and it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like, oh, this is, uh, you know, someone just trying to make uh, a voice out of this situation. This is, these are very honest, emotional stories and something that I, I couldn't empathize with until I heard it from lots and lots of people there on the racial profiling that they had been through. Um, and so she had this one story that she was arrested twice in one single day for the same broken taillight. She was arrested for a taillight, went home, or no, went to jail, uh, got bailed out of jail, was driving home from the jail back to her house, got pulled over again. She said, I was just, here's the, t- here's everything, all the paperwork. They said, we don't really care. They wrote her seven tickets and then got arrested the second time. And she's like, this is like not, like e- each one of my African-American uh, friends and family in New York City have this exact, very similar stories. Um, and so she's like, that's why we're here. And that's what we're really fighting for to make a voice to it. Um, and I had this other gentleman, uh, Billy and his wife, and <laughs> they were just salt of the earth, Alabama, most conservative country. Oh, they're so wonderful. But you would look at these people, and I hate to say it, but you would just think conservative, and you would think, you know, these people are here to, uh, you know, maybe even agitate the situation. And he was standing there with this, uh, this sign, and he just had this big smile on his face, and I just was walking home and um, or walking back to the car, and I wanted to talk to him. And he, they were watching everything in Alabama on the news, and him and his family, they're very, he has a very conservative family, and he was hearing all the things that they were regurgitating. And he's just like, I, there has to be more to this. And he said, if there's not more peaceful protesters, then the bad ones will be the ones that have the loudest voice. And so they're like, at minimum, we wanted to come and just see the true story. And at best, we wanted to give a, a peaceful uh, protest also ourselves to kind of like, you know, raise the numbers that we had here. So we sat and talked for a long time and uh, I have his video up on the, in his interview up on the YouTube also. Lots of these stories though. So as you're doing this, are you uploading them in real time to YouTube? Because I mean, you, you, at some point you say, I want to get this out. But on the other hand, you say, I don't want to waste time getting these videos up while there's so much else I could be shooting. How did you manage that? I'm a mess. Like I have no idea. <laughs> I, literally. And I, I just had no idea. So I had just started interviewing um, some publicists the week before for the COVID project and everything, because I'm not good with social media and all this stuff. And I know that you have to do that. So I just thought I would try to. So we were interviewing them. and I hadn't even like made a selection or anything. And I uh, was running through Friday morning and these situations are literally just iconic after iconic after iconic, just unbelievable. And it's like, especially when we got to the National Guard liner. And so I... I'm shooting everything on my camera. I have a full memory card. I'm deleting stuff. Just like, I don't even care. I'm deleting all this stuff to like get more stuff. And then with the camera, obviously you have to go to a computer and then you have to upload it to a computer with a huge files. They take hours and hours to upload. And so, um, unfortunately, well, and thankfully that time I had to go to this engagement shoot anyway, but I would have to go shoot, 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 picture, picture, picture. And I'd run back 20 minutes to the hotel, upload everything clear out the memory card as much as I could and then run right back into it. So then like the third day, my little sister is always trying to help me be better with social media. And she's like, just do Instagram stories. I've never known how to, all my life, never known how to do an Instagram story. So she's like, do that. And so I didn't know how to record the video. Uh, so everything was live because I could figure out how to do the live thing. She's like, you can record. And I didn't know that you had to hold the button down. So I'm learning all this in real time while there's just, pandemonium and, and just all these incredible situations around me. So thankfully I, I finally figured out how to do all that. Um, and then, so, you know, uh, lots of the just B-roll video and little things I was just doing Instagram stories with, and then all the big stuff I was just running back every night. And then, um, I would have the news on and watching what's happening. Like I had a moment where, you know, uh, it, they announced that the four officers were going to be charged and we had spent the last few days peacefully protesting for that. And so then I'd see that and I would get in my car and drive a hundred miles an hour and go right back and then come right back. So I realized, uh, and again, I didn't expect to be in these situations, obviously. So <laughs> I learned a lot on how to better do this. And I think I'll do it with someone assisting me next time just to be like, cause I'm running back. Buildings are on fire. Then I'm calling every, all these like 
the poor publicist that I just interviewed, I haven't even hired them. I'm like, I don't, we'll figure that out. I'll pay you whatever you want. Just we got to get this out. Like, I mean, oh, there you It's like, I called. Just, yeah, it was a, it was a mess. But it was now, you didn't um, delete any of those wedding pictures you were supposed to take <laughs> while you're making room in your memory card, were you? <laughs> like, hey, guys, you only got like four good wedding pictures. Sorry. <laughs> four. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. I, I am like, when I have a wedding on my, my card, I don't even mess with that. So I have it backed up. So before any of these very major iconic situations, I'm backing on. So like that added a lot more time with it. So. Now, did you? Oh, I you was going to say, it. Adam, did you have any uh, uh, interviews or a particular picture shot that at the moment uh, kind of was an emotional experience, you know, maybe brought you to tears or kind of gave you goosebumps? Oh, man, they're, they're all like that. And, and I'm not saying that to be dramatic. It, it was just, you just knew the COVID stuff. Like, yeah, we know that we'll probably never see us again, but this is so much life and passion in every single moment you're just like i'd be tearing up and not even realize it like just watch and listen to these stories in um one really great story that i think was real important to share is uh i spent like at this point like three days um with lots of different groups of peaceful protesters and uh in between 38th and chicago which is where george floyd, george floyd was killed um, and then in the third precinct, which is where the police station was. And so between those two, and I spent a day in St. Paul with the police and the National Guard. I wanted to get their side also to be partial to the situation. And um, I spent a lot of that day with Officer Denton, an African-American police officer in Minneapolis. Like, just great stories with that. But trying to do all these things. But anyways, um, so on, I think it was the third day. And... Um, I was at 38th in Chicago, and that was hilarious because this whole, this block was just bombed out. I mean, there's a gas station where it's just destroyed, and people had taken it back over in a good way. They set up barbecue pits and volunteer tables, and, and really, for five days, I didn't have spent a penny on food, groceries, anything at all. People went into grocery stores, and on, especially at 38th in Chicago, there's two, and they paid for the groceries, the whole thing. They just said, if anyone comes in this grocery store for anything in need, it's all free. So then they put out signs in the front of grocery stores and said, free groceries for all families in need. Um, so yeah, lots of, so I spent a lot of time there. So at this gas station, it was nighttime and it was like 9.30 and curfew had just been extended to 10 p.m. It was at 8, 8 p.m. for a few days. Um, and so 9.30, I was getting ready to go home. So I wanted to respect the curfew to do the right thing to try to uh, you know, still give a good face that we're, we're all working together here. And this gentleman gets up and he calls it, he's got a big loudspeaker and he calls all the protesters there to do the circle. And I'd say it's 500, 600 people. It might've been more than that, but I, he's giving this very powerful speech with this whole circle, this huge circle around them. And so I stand up in this gas pump to get video uh, of what he's saying. And after like a couple minutes of him speaking, he is looking around and he sees outside of the circle at the George Floyd Memorial site, he sees all the news stations over there and they're filming like B-roll crap of just like whatever, you know, some signs or some flowers and just stuff that wasn't important for the moment. And this moment was so powerful. The speech he was given and that was all of us in this little circle. So he just stopped and he said, uh, can we, he said, hold on, hold on. He said, would you, like, media, all you guys that are out there, it was BBC, it was NBC, it was MSNBC, he's like, would you please come in this circle and show the world what is actually happening here? Like, show this peace, show everyone getting along, all the community, all the volunteering. Uh, and he's like, would everyone open up this tunnel, like open up a hallway in the circle? And he's like, would you guys come down and come in this circle? And so it was cool. They all opened up, hundreds of people moved out of the way. And MSNBC came in right away. And uh, I'm not sure, I think I did it before, but I might've done it right after MSNBC. But I ran down and I just wanted that video shot of looking down the tunnel and Reg, the speaker, this gentleman, he was at the end of it and he's telling him like, come on, like, come, 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 please. And so I don't know if I got it right before or right after, but I got the video shot of, so I'm walking down the tunnel into the circle and then I wanted Reg and I got him at the end. And then so BBC sits outside for a minute 
And Rollins is, it's hilarious because <laughs> five, 600 people were silent and we're just staring at them. It's like, they couldn't say no. And so then BBC walks in, then NBC is waiting outside. And then uh, we all just stare and waiting. And then NBC comes in. So I'm standing right next to Reg in the middle of the circle, this huge thing. And um, NBC walks in and it's one of their hosts. I don't know who it is. It's an African, African-American gentleman. And he's standing right there and they got their cameras up. And Reg just looks at him and he says, would you give us a story right now? Show the world what's actually happening. Show this the community, the, the diversity, the peace of all of us together. He's like, give it to us right now. And again, you got five, 600 people staring at him like they could say no. And he looks at the producer and then the producer nods her head. And then he says, okay. And they put down their microphones and then they talk a logistics and they give them the story right there. And so very, very, very powerful moment. I had that picture up on everything. And, uh, and so the next day when I went back, when they charged the four officers, that was the next day. Um, Reg, it was much bigger. It was probably a couple thousand people protesting this time peacefully again. And Reg had gotten up to give this little talk and he noticed again all the news, like now it's like Fox News and all these other, and they're all way over there. And he's like, this is a story. So I, I'm like in the middle of thousands of people and I'm just kind of trying to get a closer shot. And Red sees the movement and he sees me and he says, you, you were here with us last night. He's like, you've been with us every single day. He's like, walk down this tunnel first and walk through this first and show the world the real story of what's happening. So he called me out and I was the first person to walk down the tunnel. And I had that whole video off on the YouTube thing too. And he says, the whole world, he's like, everyone make a circle around this guy right here. And he's like, protect this guy. And he's like, do you feel safe? He's like, I'm going to ask you, are you safe? And the crowd's saying like a couple thousand people. And he's like, uh, he would say, are you? And the crowd would say safe. And then, so he gives the microphone to me and I'm like, yes, I feel hundred percent safe. And I felt safe the night before too. And he's like, that's the real story we're trying to show the world right now. So it was a, yeah. it was a cool moment. You know, Adam, that particular story of the first time they opened up the group, was actually, uh, I read about that. Uh, I don't know where, I, maybe it, uh, it was on CNN or something, but they were talking about this group there opened up and they invited in uh, all these news things. So that's pretty amazing. It was amazing. And, uh, you know, MSNBC ran in. I'll never forget. They were, they were awesome. They, they didn't even need the pressure. But then the other ones kind of, they couldn't say no with it. But, um, yeah, this had so much traction just because I, I wasn't there with an agenda. Um, I was just showing the truth. Like, literally, anyone that wanted to talk, I'd give them an interview. And every story that I was hearing and seeing every day was almost exact opposite of what I was seeing on the news at the time. And so I just started putting that out, and the whole world really just appreciated it, seeing, like, you know, a more balanced side, if nothing else. Um, but really, I was seeing the 99%, and the news is showing the 1%. Yeah. Um, did you, it seems like, you know, experiencing something like that right there at the epicenter of this uh, incredible spark that was sort of the, the kind of the final straw with all of the racial tension we've been, this been going on for centuries. Um, but it seems to me like you had a sense of humanity with the volume turned way up. I mean, Whatever we are as humans, you got to see the, those emotions expressed at, at the extreme. Yes. And, you know, a lot of what I do around the world is just to connect with people of every race and gender and whatever. There's no judgment in that. And, and now um, I felt in a, a tremendous call to give a voice to the people that were there with the right reasons. But the more important part with this was I'm from St. Louis. And I'm born and raised in St. Louis. And so six years ago, we had Ferguson. Mm -hmm. I've been there. And I wasn't in the middle of Ferguson like I was in the middle of this, but I watched my city burn down. And I watched the chaos and pandemonium. And we learned what worked and what didn't. And so we also saw that conversation ex as extremely uh, powerful and passionate as it was, it fizzled. And things didn't really change. And things went back to normal and people forgot. And so I like, you know, I can talk about things like this, but I'm definitely not a big crowd speaker or something. Um, but I had this moment where another very powerful moment. I, I don't remember what day it was, but at the George Floyd Memorial site where he was killed, 
Um, the meteorologists were sending out, everyone was checking the news, and the meteorologists were begging uh, protesters to go home because there's a very bad storm coming, a very heavy, it was just a green lightning storm. And so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are leaving quickly. And uh, I just, man, as soon as I saw black clouds rolling in and thought about storms and powerful speeches, I was like, that's, I want to be in the middle of that right now. And so ran back into the middle of it and it just started dumping and dumping. And so my camera stopped working. My phone stopped working. I figured they both broke. I didn't even care because it was just such beautiful um, moments. And so I ran back to the car. I put them in my trunk so they could dry. And then I ran back to the circle and um, I don't know what came over me. I, there's maybe a few hundred people there still, but there's in the middle of the circle and it's all African-American speakers that it should be obviously because they can, you know, tell their story and, and uh, they have the platform to do so. But for whatever reason, I decided to walk in the middle and as a white guy and uh, just say, listen, I'm a Caucasian guy, but a little bit of the reason that I'm here are the main reason is because I've been in Ferguson and we've seen this. I'm from St. Louis. We have a massive racial divide, 60% African-American, a long history of police issues. And so let me tell you what we learned and what we didn't learn and what to make sure that we don't repeat and how this needs to be different from that. And really just had a, a great speech that went with it and uh, a great response to it. And really the thing was just to not let the discussion fizzle, um, but it can be done peacefully and it needs to be done peacefully. Well, I have kind of two questions related to what you just said. The first question I was gonna ask is, seems like you had a lot to process um, and you're still probably in the middle of processing that. So uh, how long ago did you get back home? Uh, two days ago, but I was in Mexico for a week. Oh, right, right. right. Yeah. So you're still, you're still running through it and I'm curious how you did that. But then the second question is, since you've kind of had those two experiences and you have so much to say and you've already posted to YouTube and you've posted your photographs on Hello from a Stranger and all that, have I know you're not a writer, but have you considered taking all of this information? Because you say you don't want to let it fizzle. Have, what have you considered doing with this information as you process it? That's my, my issue is definitely like I create and I like to be in the moment. And so I don't do any of this truthfully for like the attention or anything. In fact, I don't like the attention. I just like to be there because it makes me feel so alive. And it's like why I am a photographer. Um, and I've always kind of had a heart for journalism on like just telling the true story, but it happens so fast that I'm calling people to tell them the stories because I know I will forget the stories the next day. Cause I'll have another hundred stories or another, you know, 20 stories. And it's like, it happens so fast in such real time. So I make posts about them real quick. I kind of just coffee, word vomit, you know, write these posts and stuff like that. Um, but that's why I really uh, put a stronger emphasis on getting a lot more video. And again, I'm not a videographer. I don't have a gimbal or anything like that. I don't even have a microphone for my camera, but I can shoot photographs. So there's some transferable skills, but there I just wanted to turn the video on and let people tell the stories because I knew I would forget, um, especially with how quick all this is happening. So I'm sure I'll hopefully be able to write and put some more of it to words, but um, it's just, it's so much and it's so fast and every situation in these uh, situations are just so powerful. Uh, well, that's a good question about the processing of it. So, as this is settling in, you said you experienced in uh, Ferguson kind of what they learned from that. Do you think um, in cities all across our country as well as across the world, are, this seems different. And if it is different, is it going on the right trajectory based on your experience with these two events? Yeah, great question. Um, this is, this is different. Now, if you remember the Occupy movement, uh, that was huge. That was massive. Everyone said they'd never go home. Even that, something that massive fizzled. Um, but, you know, they, it was recognized. Um, this is different in the sense that, uh, and the reason I really, I extended my stay in Minneapolis by a week as soon as, like, you know, obviously I didn't want to go home, but I, I was putting everything together. I was like, okay, we just had... COVID, 
three months of quarantine, <clears throat> the people that are affected the most by this are those that are impoverished, those that are at the poverty minimum line. And those are the people that lost their jobs. And now they, they got 1200 bucks to survive for three months. That's not enough money. And so all those people are home right now and they're upset and they should be upset and they're mad and they're bored and they, they're, you know, they're losing inspiration. Um, and so when you have a situation like this, that's a fire inside of now you, all, you, all these people that they, they don't have the jobs or the, you know, a place to go, they're at home and they're looking for a cause to be passionate about. And this is a worthy cause. And so I knew this would be huge because now you have all these people as a part of that. Um, so, you know, with Ferguson, it was like, destruction's not the answer. Destruction uh, gives you an international spotlight, but it's not a good one, of course. But it's also like, you know, I, I travel a lot in, in the world. Protests are not usually peaceful. There, there's a lot of unrest. And so there should never be violence towards any people in any possible way ever. Um, but there, some unrest in these situations really helps provoke a conversation in a passionate sense to say that we are not going home, we will not go home, we will not forget. And so in that, you can have a mix of both. It's like you are occupying spaces in what we're seeing in like Seattle right now um, to continue sharing a voice. But the second that voice is demonized by looters and destruction, um, then it uh, yeah, it gets demonized, it gets stigmatized, and people stop listening. And people are aware of that. Um, we, this is also different because in six years' time, social media has just taken over the world, and now everything is available, everything is being shared immediately. Sharing in real time, people are seeing it instantly on the true story of what's actually happening. And so now the whole world's united towards this, this pretty common cause. Um, and it's also like... You're learning a lot about people. You're learning a lot, a lot of good and a lot of bad. Um, with COVID, you learn some of the selfish natures of people um, and some of the, you know, the help also. But in this, you're really, people are extremely divided. And for whatever reason, people want to really push out a voice of division. It seems like people are so much on one side or the other, even though the majority are on the side of equality, thankfully. But um, it's... Now everyone's got a voice, good or bad, <clears throat> social media, everyone has social media, and, um, and you have a very worthy cause of people that I think are, are they just need better organization to be united um, a little bit, have you know, the speakers in front that are eloquent and saying the, the things, but um, I think we're learning in real time also. Um, so it's a very fluid situation. Adam, you mentioned Seattle. Are you having a hard time staying away from that? Yeah, I've been watching every day. Uh, I watched yesterday uh, and last night um, on, you know, I've obviously been watching the, the CHOP, the Autonomous Zone and all that. And I want to photograph that and get that, but I'm kind of, I need a break for a few days. But um, then I saw Trump saying he would help if the mayor didn't, um, you know, clear out the city or, or reclaim the city. So if that heats up, I'm going to go immediately. Uh, I'll just hop in a car and get over there as soon as possible. Um, if it doesn't, I'm, I'm going to go to Seattle this weekend, and I'll spend a few days there to get stories and stuff. But damn it, I need a, a rest for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even got halfway caught up with what I have from Minneapolis. Yes. So, but, um, but yeah, you know, I really found a beautiful calling in this, and it gives me a lot of fulfillment too. What just, you know, I think as artists, we all look for a way to not just create art, but we want our art to have some sort of impact or some way of alleviating the suffering of the world around us. And a lot of art, that's what it's for. You know, movies take us to a place in our imagination and paintings, you know, we interpret them in different ways and they take away the chaos of the world. And so um, to be able to use photography and videography to help just give a voice, no matter what it is, I think that's what we stand for, to just give freedom of speech. And you mentioned that you still haven't processed all of your images um, how many photos did you get? How much video did you get? I imagine afterwards it just feels like a flood, but how much is there? It's a flood, but I'm good with, I think I'm just lazy with this because I don't like to take a lot of pictures because it's just annoying to go through them all and then it's hard to pick one. So I normally just take one and if I don't like it on the camera, I look it on the camera, I'll delete it and I'll take the picture I want. So I normally have like one or two of each situation. The video, 
I have no idea because uh, I have five days of video. Um, I don't know, maybe not that much because these are like two, three, four minute interviews. Um, and I'm trying to just leave it to like 30 second snippets to, and then I send them out to um, a couple video editor friends of mine. And I just say, mm -hmm. can you do something with this? Cause I don't know how to edit videos, like <laughs> no clue. And then they do. And I'm like, great, but more like, give me more power than they, okay. That's like, yes. Cause, and I need to figure out how to edit also. But um, right now it's just like chaos. Cause I'm uploading all the Dropbox folder. And then I send it to video editor friends and I'm just like, do something with it. I don't care what you do with it. Just get it out there. And, uh, yeah, it's been good so far. What do you think will be the interpretation of your uh, pictures, snapshots, and uh, small interviews uh, throughout that process, and what the viewers of those will take away that will be different than what we are exposed to on a 24-7 basis with just local, with the media as it is? Mm, that's a good question. I, I think... You know, one of the most beautiful compliments I, I get on photographs is that I, I try to capture people as they naturally are. You know, it's nothing false or fake. I don't set it up. I don't tell them what to do. And so in these pictures, I think we have a tremendous um, importance to, and how we interpret a photograph, we all draw something else with it. And that's why I like photography. I'm not telling people what to think. I'm just showing them something and that creates awareness and then people use that. So on the news, I think people are very aware that news is always going to have a bias of some sort or a slant of some sort. And news is going to lend towards what sells or what creates ad revenue. And that's fair. It's a business. But it is a business, and people need to remember that, keep, be objective with that. So with my photographs and video, I'm trying as hard as I can to just keep it very just wide open, however people interpret it. I'm just showing you what happened. and. I draw a lot of kind of maybe what I'm trying to show what happened in the emotion that I'm trying to make sure I capture. Cause there's just so much emotion and so much power in every one of these situations that if you can show that, and you know, the majority of these people are African American and I'm trying to give them um, a very loud voice to, you know, speak the reason that they're out here every day um, and what they're here for. So um, to hopefully be able to look at a, a picture and not see white or black, not see race or anything with it. Just see a human out there in a, a country with freedom of speech that is speaking their passion and their heart and their soul, and hopefully just have respect for that and, um, and appreciate it. So that's what we all need to be doing, and no matter what you believe in. And what has been the reaction to the photos and videos you've posted so far? They've been really, really beautiful, really incredible. Um, you know, some of the, my favorite ones are older, People saying, you know, we've been a part of this, uh, Martin Luther King and civil rights, and we remember this. And uh, I had this one lady write to me today that she's an uh, older Caucasian lady, and she's been a part through every moment and all the changes, or all the lack of changes she's seen even since that. Um, but a lot of them are just saying that, you know, they, they felt the power. Um, we had a black and white video come out a couple of days ago, and... Um, we stripped the color out of it to just show the power and everything and um, just lots of tears, lots of emotion. And, um, lot, lot, you know, I, we just, I just want people to feel, I, I want people to, to just feel something when they look at and watch these videos and see these pictures. And it, it's been a lot of beautiful comments of uh, just lots of emotional expression, especially after watching it. Well, and as you're talking about this, I keep coming back to the fact that you know that this is going on in Minneapolis and you have to drive three hours to a wedding, shoot a wedding, and then come back. I mean, how hard was that for you? What was that day like? It was funny because um, they're an amazing couple and that is my number one priority on a wedding day is this is your day and you are my number one priority and I'm here to capture everything that you dream of me capturing. That's why I'm there. And I won't you know, diminish that. So I really had to shut off what I knew was happening. I had to totally shut it off. But the funny thing was, I had all this footage in these pictures and these videos. Um, and I hadn't even had the time to do anything with any of them. That was Friday from Friday morning. And so I had a three hour drive. And that's when I'm just like calling all these people and like, you got to get, you know, get this to so and so or like, you know, I, I'm about to send you this. But as soon as I got there, I had to shut it all off, of course, and 
just be there, be peaceful. And, you know, you go from a, a, a guy rapping in a building that's burning down and falling around to three hours later, you're like, okay, so kiss her on the cheek <laughs> right here. And okay, and stand by, yeah, I love it. Okay, I love that. And so it was polar opposites. It was so much fun, though, because, uh, like, you know, I, I was there and they're like, hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to go to, and I'm like, great, I got to go, boom. And I run back to the hotel. And then the next day we had their wedding and it was an all day wedding. But at like, I don't know, two, three o'clock, they're like, we think we're going to take a break. I'm like, great, I'm out too. <laughs> I run back to the hotel and I spent three hours just getting everything up and then would run right back and just be back in it. So um, we, I think, yeah, we went till later at night that night. I went to sleep. I woke up immediately first thing in the morning and I just ran back. And uh, it was funny because I got, I didn't know where to get a hotel room. Um, and I uh, got a room in downtown Minneapolis. I was like, that'd be great. And terrible idea, obviously. But I was like, ah, yeah, down, that's a good central location. And I get downtown. There's not a single car, zero cars, literally. Every single thing is boarded up and barricaded. And I get to Hampton Inn and every single thing is boarded there's zero glass, everything, and there's no people, there's no anything. I'm like, well, they're freaking closed, but they accepted the reservation. So I call them, and I'm like, hey, uh, I guess you guys are closed. Can you? And they're like, no, 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 we're open. We just got to undo the wood when you walk up to the door. Oh, <laughs> the guy literally has to unscrew the wood, open the front desk clerk, open the door. Okay, come on in. Yeah, yeah. You like, <laughs> like oh, a, and screw about, and they're like, all right, now anytime you want to leave, just let me know. I'm like, and so I got this rental car, and I'm like, so is there like secure parking? They're like, no, we just got street parking, and this is like Saturday, and I'm like, no way, I'm leaving my rental car on the street when everything is being destroyed. So I ended up switching to a different location, but I thought that was pretty funny. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. <laughs> so as you're telling these stories, is there is there something else? Because you said you've got like 20 stories, 100 stories. You try and get them out. Um, is there another story that either you just keep telling because it's so powerful or a story that you haven't told anybody that you feel like you need to get on the record somewhere? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I need to give a look real quick. Because I know there is. And uh, whatever, I won't even look. I'll just, you know, um, I was there, um, I guess it was Sunday, and I was there when the semi-truck drove through the protesters. Now, I wasn't on the bridge. Uh, we were right next to the bridge. And I, did you guys see this? A semi-truck drove through mm -hmm. all that. Yeah, drove through all that. So you had, like, lots of just people working extremely hard to keep the peace and keep everyone in. Like, you know, if anyone would agitate, it was crazy. Everyone would just hold that person there. And then they would call the police. All protesters would hold that person there. If they were breaking something, or something they would just hold them. They'd call the police. Police would come in. They'd give them the police. And then they would go. So they were all, like, protecting their own city. Um, and then that happened. And that was such a big pop of the bubble of, like, dear God, we feel like we're going right back into it. Um, and that was the day also that I spent a lot of time with police and National Guard. And I went to St. Paul um, to go to the governor's mansion, to go to the Capitol building. And um, just to, yeah, interview lots of these police. And there's one moment where, I mean, it was crazy because you're driving St. Paul and Minneapolis, twin cities right next to each other. And St. Paul, I couldn't really find much distraction. I know there was a lot, but I didn't see much of it. Um, and so you'd look over every single time at a red light everywhere. I promise you, every car had un undercover police or police in uniforms, but they're in just random minivans and Chevy Tahoe's and the most random cars just beat up like Pintos and all the stuff. And so there was like a feeling like they were all around. And uh, I was interviewing Officer Denson, an African-American police officer, um, right in between the Capitol building and the governor's mansion when a call came over the radio that said the Black Panthers have just said they're going to meet the KKK at the governor's mansion. They're like, we have to go. And I was like, I'm coming with you guys. And we all went down there and we waited like three hours and never showed up. Um, but you had a lot of these kind of situations. So I would see people with these big scars. I had this one gentleman named Cornell who um, this is right in the parking lot of the Target that was completely demolished and destroyed. Um, people had set up lots of volunteering stations and stuff. And there's a gentleman named Cornell. And uh, I was walking back 
at the end of the night, maybe, I don't know, it was like seven o'clock and um, I'm going to his parking lot and this is right in, in uh, the third precinct. And so I'm going to his parking lot and this car pulls up to me and it's an African-American gentleman. He says, Hey man, Hey, would you just do me a favor? And if you stay out any later, he's like, would you please take care of yourself and, and please be safe? I was like, yeah, of course. I was like, thank you so much for saying that. And of course he's like, great. So he drives away. Well, they had all this free water, all this free stuff everywhere. And so I just am looking for a bottle of water and I find this warm bottle of water and uh, I like pull it out. And all of a sudden I hear this like, this guy reverse it. I just heard the sound of car reversing. I look up and it's Cornell. Now I didn't even know his name this time. It, it's the same gentleman. He says, hey man, you want some ice cold water? He's like, yeah, you got to be drinking that warm, nasty water. And I was like, yeah, I'll take some ice cold water. So he hops out, he's got a cooler in his trunk, and he just gives me a nice cold water. And I, uh, I see that he's got this big scar um, right here on his neck, and I just had to ask him what the story was. And uh, so I had that video up on, on the YouTube, but it's, um, he was at a peaceful protest uh, two nights before, and there was 11,000 people, um, and they were moving across the city, so a very large group. And he had been split apart with his wife and his wife was in the group and he was with a different group and his wife called and said, police are starting to like, um, narrow down on us. And so he ran back and there's this big circle, <clears throat> 11,000 people again, lots of people. He's looking for his wife everywhere and all the police are getting there and they're pulling out uh, rubber bullet guns and everything. And this is when the protest was still very volatile and there's a lot of uh, back and forth confrontation. And he said, I'll never forget, I wanna make sure I get it right, but uh, there's a, a woman and she's a deer in headlights, like total shutdown, can't even, like in so much fear, because all the police are surrounding this massive circle. And he looks at her and he says, baby, you got two legs, I need you to get those blood back in those legs, we gotta go, we gotta get out of here. And he said, as soon as I'm talking to her, I'm like trying to get the blood back into her, white in her face, I see a police officer and he raises the rubber bullet gun to the back of this girl's head. Like they were a little bit, I don't think it, was, it wasn't point blank, but they're close by. And he said, he just moves this girl and he turns his head and gets shot point blank range. Oh, and if I wasn't there, a police officer would have shot something in the back of her head with a rubber bullet. And so he had this just disgust, very, really bad, looked kind of infected scar on his neck from that. Um, and there were multiple of those stories. Uh, of course, the cat coming. Uh, there are multiple of those stories. Uh, there's another gentleman, Ali, who protested with us peacefully every day, and he got shot right next to his eye, and he didn't go blind, but he couldn't really see. But man, it was just blood, and it was out there every single day. So you really got to see every side of it. So it sounds like the police were pretty brutal, huh? They're brutal, but you know, I don't want to paint that narrative either. I, I don't know enough about it. I honestly was never in situation i never saw tear gas i never saw rubber bullets fired um i just don't know enough about it but obviously what you're seeing a lot of there's a lot of bad stuff going around and uh, a lot of places that are acting very poorly and uh, minneapolis was where the one the the national guard walking through the streets and i'm sure you've seen this and everyone's on their front porches recording and the national guard screaming get back inside. And then they start firing on the people on the porches. And, it, and that was in Minneapolis. So that raised a lot of hell. And then it was, it was really interesting to me because you could really watch the psychology that they were being like the information they were being told by superiors, because I, I really, anytime I'd see them, I'd talk to the police with national guard and I was fascinated by them also. And you could see day by day how it changed so much. And so in the beginning it was like force, pure force. In the beginning, it was like, there's nothing we can do. And then it was like pure force, get these people out. And then everyone responded with force also. So in the next day, it was like, okay, you can be out, but curfew is 8 p.m. And if you're out past that, we're going to arrest you. And then everyone that was out, police would, they were encircling everyone and they were peacefully, uh, protesters just, you know, giving up, they weren't doing anything. And then they'd arrest all of them. And then they made a statement. They made sure to show that on the news. And then the next day, the police were just weirdly nice like weirdly the national guard was like weird like i had this one gentleman and we had, there were convoys running through the streets like full-out military convoys and they're national guard but i remember there's this one guy in a gun turret on top of a 
it's like a Humvee, I think, and he's like circling. And I'm like, who are you going to shoot with a gun turret? Like, there's no one that's going to, I don't know, it's, it's very like militarized. But they pulled up at the third precinct, I, I guess, just to have a presence and show. And they're all like getting out, but they had all these like vehicles. And so I went up to this one gentleman that's standing there with a big old gun and everything. And I said, I would love to get your story and just, you know, give you like, can you tell me something? And he like took his rifle and he like put it behind him and he's just like stepped down and he's like, it's so nice to like be able to have a conversation with you and would love it. And well, the day before these guys are the guys that are just shooting people and like, getting, so you could tell that they told them like disarm, be extremely nice. And if they react, react, but otherwise it was, it was, and then they saw that everyone got peaceful once they disarmed. And so I was just having half an hour conversations with every National Guard of police. Like they told them that just talk, you know. And so you saw the shifting psychology um, day by day. Did you get anybody to kind of let their guard down, so to speak, in terms of what they're ordered to do? You know, they're professionals, whether it's a police person or a National Guardsman versus their own personal conviction about whether I should be, you know, uh, a military person firing on my own people, so to speak, or I'm an African-American policeman. And here I am, I totally understand the rage that's going on, but yet I have to carry out, I have my duty to do as a professional. Did you get any juxtaposition um, of personal conflict in some of your interviews? That's what I was going for, especially that day that I spent with them. I really was going for, and I'm asking a tough question. Like, I, I'm trying to get them to be real and not just go off a script that you could tell that they're being told. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if they're that well uh, scripted or put together, but they were definitely told by public relations to, you know, not maybe not take a side or, and so I would really spend long periods of time with them and just say no and like ask them follow-up questions, follow-up questions. Mm -hmm. And it was almost like a, uh, I don't know, like a boot camp kind of feel like they had kind of been conditioned to a certain frame of thought. So that's why then I wanted to find African-American officer and be like, and so he's surrounded by, you know, uh, Caucasian uh, officers and they were all just getting along having so much fun. Like it, it was very like authentic. But um, still, the words that they were saying was very, like, safe. And I was asking them questions to evoke a personal response. But it was just, no matter how hard I tried, they were always safe. And so I guess they have to do that, and I get it. And they know, and, you know, as soon as I pull out a camera, um, I would walk up to officers sitting in cars. And I'd not scare them, but, like, they didn't see me. And I'd be like, hey, you know, like, you know, and. So, like, it's not like I was setting up these interviews. I'm just walking around and just, if you're there, I'm going to ask you questions. And so um, they would kind of talk, but I would always say, I'm going to record this. And then someone would say, you can't record me saying anything. Um, but then the ones that I did, it would just, you know, they knew that the world's watching. And they knew, I think they had seen enough bad things. They, they just knew to be overly safe. Um, but you know, I was looking for that. And I was dying for that. And I'm saying for you guys, give me the, what you feel like tell, cause everyone can read that, you know, you're going by script right now. So I was like, this is how we bridge the conversation and show we're in this fight together and that you guys care every bit as much as we all do, um, by just be human with us. Like, come on. And a lot of those, like, you know, the national guard, the first day, a lot of these national guard were kids. They're 18, 19, 20. They're literally like kids or like high school. And um, the powerful speeches of people calmly just saying, come on, lay, like, what do you lay down your gun? You're going to like arm yourselves against citizens that are upset that someone's murdered. Like, come on. And there are some close situations where I, I, I didn't know if it was going to happen. But uh, and then one gentleman that was going around saying it was a young kid and he was saying, can I just pray with you? And they would actually uh, there are multiple that, you know, put their guns to their side and then put their heads down and close their eyes. and. Lots, lots of human moments, I guess, in that, but still extremely protected and uh, from like a PR, public relations side. So how does somebody find these videos? Yeah. Oh, my cast keeps trying to jump on me. Uh, <laughs> YouTube is, so my YouTube channel is Lightcast, L-I-G-H-T-C-A-S-T, photography. Um, and I have uh, a few on there. I, you know, it takes a long time to edit and get everything through. So 
I've started just kind of putting up raw uh, videos on it because they're just the interviews and they're good enough just naturally. Um, and then on my Instagram, connecting to happiness, um, there's uh, a few more videos on that. Um, and the black and white one that we just put out is just fantastic, showing a lot of the power and a lot of the, uh, the, the true heart and passion here. So um, YouTube is where we're going to, and we got a few more great videos coming out with that. Um, so unlike cast photography and then Instagram on connecting to happiness. And do you have many of those photographs up on your uh, hello from a stranger website? Most of, uh, most of the ones uh, that I've gotten finished so far are all on hellofromstranger.com and they're under the George Floyd protests. Um, and also those videos are also on that website too and connections to like links to the other ones. But I'm a mess and I'm trying to get caught up, dear God. That's another reason I'm not going to Seattle yet. I, I don't need more content yet, um, but I'm excited to keep sharing the story. Yeah, I, I don't know how much time we have. I know we're getting close, but I, I have one question. Um, did you leave Minneapolis, you know, with all your footage and, and photos, interviews, more optimistic and hopeful of humanity and race relations and this, this climate we're in, or more pessimistic? Mm, great question. And I will be dead honest about that. Um, when I walked back, it was the final day um, that I was able, that I was there <clears throat> and I stayed through uh, curfew or almost to the curfew. Um, I literally started crying when I got back to my car. I didn't want to leave. Um, honestly, we were all such a, a just, and there's so many, it's huge, but it's like, there's such a, a common, like unspoken felt authentic unity of every single person that I saw there. And I swear every age, every race, there's different religions. You got people in, in burkas, you got, uh, you know, white, black, old, young, everything like that. And just, you've never seen more community in your life. You've never, like, I've never seen more in my life. Like, honestly, like for five days, never had to spend a penny. If you didn't have a mask on, you got someone on you within 10 seconds saying, we got free masks right here. And here's this nothing. There's no money. You don't ever need money. There are these videos of tables for, I don't know, a quarter mile of every grocery, every feminine product, every medical supply, everything you could possibly imagine all for free. Anyone that lost their, you know, anyone didn't even matter. There was no like, you know, uh, uh, like who needs it or doesn't. It was like, if you need this, come get it. Free massages, free, everyone's barbecuing. There's so much amazing food. Like, uh, you know, and it's just like, everyone's there to, really really listen and really really talk and really really like it, there's just no division at all there's zero um if we were there we were all together and we saw a lot of the same we would see each other in different places some of the peaceful protesters are all in the situations together um and then you know that situation with reg where he invited uh, the media into the circle and it's like we just understood every day that we're in it together and no one's looking at anyone like you're a different race. It's like, I promise you, it's like, yeah, we see it, but we're just not thinking of that. We're more, it's like, what's the cause? Why are we here? What's the discussion? What questions do you have? How can I help? Everyone's just like, how can I help with anything? And then, um, and then it was just like us versus the world in, in a way that's like, let's unite together. And everyone there is there for the right reasons. Um, and how do we make a difference here? And so it's just extremely powerful, extremely uh, rejuvenated on, I'm always a hopeless optimistic and I do a lot of projects to show the good in the world, um, but it's hard to, to really show it all, all the time. And it's hard that it's like all day, every day. And I promise there's no, there's no optimism to that. I'll tell you if it was like, you know, a mix, it's like, no, it was all day, every day. And so it's extremely rejuvenated on what's possible um, if people unite towards a, a worthy cause to making the world a better place. Um, and then seeing that the division that we see on the news, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's nowhere near as prevalent as you would think if you watch the news all the time and not look at in real life, what's actually happening. Mm, that's great. 
Well, thanks for being with us today, Adam. Thanks Good so luck much. to you. Uh, I hope you uh, you recover soon. <laughs> Next year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Adam. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your uh, your spirit uh, and your you know desire to capture snapshots of humanity in our world today. Um, it's a a great value. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Honestly, you know, you guys are a part of this too. You give me a voice. Um, and you give, by giving me a voice, you give voice to all the stories that I just am trying to share. And that's how we, we make a difference. And we show that the real narrative here is just by giving a voice to those who need it. So I really do appreciate you guys a lot. And Eric, just being able to write you and be like, ah, let's do a talk. And you guys saying yes. So absolutely. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. And, uh, once things are slowing down, we're going to get some beers and, and meet in person too. Sounds great. Thank Thanks you so again. much, Adam. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for Bye.